0: Welcome to the Quantum Key Distribution Securing Future Networks podcast hosted on Government Technology Insider. I'm your host, Matt Langan. Quantum Key Distribution, otherwise known as QKD, provides a new level of security. By leveraging encryption keys, two end locations in different places can exchange and send files over in seconds. And these files are safe because hackers can't steal encryption keys. QKD is considered to be the most secure form of information sharing because it leverages instant threat detection and zero-trust architecture to notify teams when there is a threat detected. However, is this the safest form of information sharing for the government? Today, we're speaking with Lee Sattler, who is the distinguished engineer at Verizon, who will answer this question and much more. And Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Let's start at the top. So what exactly is QKD, and how is it changing the way information is shared?
1: Yeah, so, you know, some people refer to QKD as quantum cryptography, and I think I'd really like to start there and kind of go through what cryptography is, and from there, we can work up to what QKD is and and why it's important. So starting with cryptography, you know, that's the practice of, of encrypting plain text, into something that's indecipherable until you apply some operations along with the decryption key, which converts it back into plain text. Probably the easiest example, this was Caesar cipher, which was just a simple example of letter substitution. And that's how they encrypted their messages, where they might substitute a C for an A as an example. But in today's communications, we use much more complex mathematical operations. And just a couple of examples of common ciphers would be Rivest Shamir Alderman, also known as RSA, or Elliptical Curve Cryptography, ECC, and Advanced Encryption Standard, AES. And while these mathematical operations for these ciphers are really well known, I mean, they're published so anybody can see them. It's the complexity of the mathematical operations and the lengths of the keys that are used in them that provide confidentiality between a sender and a receiver. Now, I've said the word key a few times, and probably I should define that. A key really is just, it's a shared secret. And in these operations, it's really just a very long string of bits, of ones and zeros. The longer and more random, the better. And so once we have this key and that, along with the mathematical operation, we can apply that to some text, transform it into cipher text, and then back into plain text. The key is the key. So now now we have a basic idea of what cryptography is. There's one more concept I probably should, I think we need to understand to really get the full potential for the benefits of QKD. And that's actually two types of cryptography. There's asymmetric and symmetric symmetric cryptography is the easiest to understand it utilizes a single shared key for encryption and decryption and people like it because it's faster and requires less compute power to encrypt and decrypt information that sounds perfect right but there are some considerations that same key has to be in place at every location where you're transmitting and receiving encrypted data. And best management practices would dictate rotating those keys at some frequency. And this is where key management can become burdensome if there are multitudes of locations and the process is not automated. And so that's where asymmetric cryptography comes to the rescue. Asymmetric cryptography utilizes two keys, a public and a private key. And so if you wanna send an encrypted message to me, Matt, I'll give you my public key. It's a public key, so anyone can use it to send an encrypted message to me, but only I can decrypt it with my private key. And vice versa. I can encrypt messages to you using your public key, but only you can decrypt them using your private key. Compared to symmetric encryption, asymmetric encryption requires more time and compute power. However, this becomes a really secure way to agree on a symmetric key and so once you've accomplished that, you can switch your session over to symmetric cryptography. And so this sequence of using asymmetric encryption to set up a symmetric encryption session is the basis for today's secure communications on the Internet. And it happens transparently. We, we don't even realize that is going on in the background. In fact, there's a whole entire infrastructure built around it called public key infrastructure to authenticate and provide confidentiality for communications over the internet. And so now the question is, if this is working so well, why even consider QKD? And it turns out there's a limited lifetime on some of these widely used asymmetric ciphers. So ciphers are considered secure if the amount of time and compute power required to determine a key is very onerous. But quantum computers continue to progress in terms of power. and at some point, it is expected they will become powerful enough to efficiently determine the keys used in these asymmetric ciphers, particularly RSA and ECC. Once powerful enough, there are algorithms that can be used to rapidly factor numbers and speed up searches. Uh, for RSA ciphers, the assumption was that the compute- computation required to factor large prime numbers is extremely hard and it takes an inordinate amount of time. However, There's already an existing algorithm to do this on a quantum computer, Shor's algorithm, and it should be able to solve these prime factorization problems in a very reasonable amount of time with quantum computers. And so then the question is, what about symmetric ciphers? Well, turns out these are much harder to crack. And if the key is sufficiently long, then we should be good. However, I said that we were using these vulnerable asymmetric ciphers to establish the symmetric cipher key. So now, if we were to intercept that transmission of the symmetric key inside the asymmetric session, and we could decode that, we could come up with a key that was going to be used for the symmetric session, and now we can decode the whole conversation. So as far as we know, quantum computers haven't evolved to a point where today's encryption is vulnerable, but it's really worthwhile to think about how long do you need to keep your data safe? What is the impact if one were to capture that exchange of the symmetric key and be able to decode that and at the same time capturing the exchange of your data and then hold on to that until the quantum computers are strong enough and encrypted then? So, I mean, how long do you need to keep your data secret? If it's five or 10 years, then
0: we should talk about QKD. Great. Lee, thanks for that rundown there. And correct me if I'm wrong, are there photons involved with QKD? I've heard that and would love to hear more from you on that. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, Quantum key distribution leverages
1: the properties of quantum mechanics to securely derive those symmetric encryption key at two locations. And there are a number of different implementations and protocols that are used for QKD, but the basic idea is that data is being encoded on a photon and transmitted from one location to another where that information can be received and interpreted. And think of this, you know, in today's communications on the internet and and we're sending information on a fiber and we have a laser and we're just flipping it on and off And when the light is on, then it might represent a zero. And when the light is off, it might represent a one. But during that brief period of time, we're transmitting millions or billions of photons. And with QKD, we're actually encoding the information on a single photon, which is really cool. And that's how we can get to applying these uh, quantum mechanical properties to provide the security. So we can actually detect when somebody's trying to eavesdrop on our QKD line. And the reason this is possible is because when an eavesdropper tries to read that photon, the quantum mechanics laws state that that photon, that quantum entity once measured is gonna be changed in an irreparable way, which is gonna be detected at the receiving end as errors. So if somebody was trying to read it and put it back online, we would see it. Furthermore, you can't take a photon and clone it. There's this thing called a no-cloning theorem, which prevents or says that it's impossible to create a perfect copy of an arbitrary quantum state. And these things are the foundation of QKD security. So now we can detect when somebody's actually on the line. As I said, you know, once it's either going to result in errors or if they actually tried to split uses a splitter to take the photons off the line and read them and put them back on the line. We're going to see the photons lost and that's also going to show up as errors. So we can immediately detect when we have an eavesdropper and you know with some of the technology we have today we can actually we know exactly where that interception is trying to take place. And so the end result is that QKD is a provably secure technology against quantum computers, and we can use it in place of asymmetric encryption to provide the
0: keys that are used for symmetric encryption. That's awesome. What a great rundown there, Lee. Really appreciate that. And what this really points to that this is unparalleled security. So with that in mind, how do instant threat detection and zero trust architecture play into this world? Yeah, that's a good question. So
1: zero-trust architecture, it's not so much as a, of an architecture as, as it is a set of guiding principles based upon the assumption that an attacker is already within the security perimeter. And any particular entity, whether it's a user, application, or the infrastructure, should be implicitly untrusted. And QKD meets some of the tenets of ZTA in a sense that we could assume the fiber over which we are running QKD is compromised, but this does not reveal any information to the attacker. Furthermore, attempts by the attacker to read the quantum information would result in lost information at the receiving end, which we could immediately detect and act upon. And then when we join that with a Verizon product called Software-Defined Perimeter, which is specifically called out as an approach to zero-trust architecture in the NIST documentation. It provides this combination. So the software-defined perimeter brings on microsegmentation. So that, and along with the identity-based access, we have improved isolation and segmentation and granular control of the network. Access to that network is based on identity and ensures that users are continually verified and their activities are checked to detect anomalies. So the QKD provides the physical layer of this zero-trust architecture, and the SDP provides the upper layers of the zero-trust architecture. So we're protecting not just software and uh, applications, but also the physical layer. And that's why there, it's really a really nice combination
0: of QKD and SDP for zero-trust architecture. Excellent. Now let's switch over and talk about the government side of things. And what are some of the ways that government could use QKD and what benefits would agencies see? Agencies see. Yeah. Now, QKD is really effective for distances of 60 miles or less.
1: And if you have two locations within that range, you could use QKD over a fiber to provide keys for the symmetric encryption between those locations. So now you've got this... You don't have to worry about quantum computers. There's no way for anybody to get a hold of those keys. It's provably secure, and they're truly random. And the keys could be provided to other devices in those organizations once they've been derived. And in fact, really longer distances are possible today with technology called trusted exchanges and the newer QKD methods. And even network equipment vendors are now including secure methods to obtain QKDs, Keys and use those in their encryption, providing secure transport. So it even integrates with existing equipment that's in the network now. The encryption could be applied at the transport or network layers. QKD will continue to improve, and we should expect to see techniques which will continue to increase the effective distances for QKD over fiber. Fiber is not the only media across which QKD can be implemented. Free space optics allows QKD to function over even longer distances when the conditions are right, even from satellites to ground stations. So it's true that we may have new asymmetric ciphers, which are being developed to be immune to quantum computers. But perhaps it's just a matter of time before those new ciphers may become also vulnerable to quantum compute or some other vulnerability, while QKD is not vulnerable to increased compute power. So QKD is a nice way to future-proof the distribution of keys against unknown
0: vulnerabilities. Awesome. Lee, thank you for those insights there. And let's talk about how QKD is being used across the globe. And are there areas that can be replicated in the U.S.? Oh, yeah. You know, there's been a
1: tremendous amount of activity with QKD in Europe and Asia. It's really interesting because the first QKD network was deployed as a DARPA project in 2002. But since then, Europe and Asia have really taken the lead in development of QKD technology and deployments. And we've also seen a number of international standards bodies now developing requirements and standards for QKD. One interesting development in Europe is something called Open QKD, which is a European Union funded QKD testbed for vendors, service providers, and end users to further develop quantum communications and related use cases. Certainly something like that could be done in the US. And I think it would be beneficial, not just for QKD, but also for development of the quantum internet in the future. China has built the longest QKD network in the world, covering over 2,000 kilometers. And it includes both terrestrial and satellite links. End users of that QKD network include banks, government agencies, enterprises. And in the future, when we do get the quantum internet in the U.S., I expect QKD is going to be one of those services that will be provided on it. But prior to that, we really haven't seen a large amount of interest yet in replicating what Europe or China
0: have accomplished, but it certainly could be done here. Excellent. Well, this concludes the Quantum Key Distribution Securing Future Network Communications podcast hosted on Government Technology Insider, where Lee Sadler, who is a distinguished engineer at Verizon, was kind enough to provide a deep dive perspective into how quantum key distribution can enable secure information sharing for government and beyond. And Lee, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it.